0: Hey, it's Greg Brown. Grab your logbook cuz it's time for another cockpit adventure from the Flying Carpet. I'm an aviation author, adventure columnist, photographer, former National Flight Instructor of the Year, and Barnes and Noble Arizona Author of the Month. The Flying Carpet is a four-place single-engine light airplane. In it, my wife Jean and I have long traveled the North American continent, searching behind clouds for the real America and experiencing aerial adventures like today's all along the way. Learn more at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, where you can also see photos from most episodes. And I'd appreciate your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. This episode marks 50 years of a treasured friendship arising under unusual circumstances on a long-ago foreign adventure and continued over the years by flying carpet, I hope you'll find it as memorable as Gene and I do. Okay, everyone, hop aboard my flying carpet, buckle your seatbelts good and tight, and prepare for takeoff on today's adventure. Flight 17. Parlez-vous anglais? Clear prop. You'd expect a flying carpet to deliver you to enchanted destinations. Well, 2,000 miles, three flying days, and 15 flight hours from our home in Arizona, over beautiful French Canada, Jean and I truly felt the magic of our steed. After clearing customs at Windsor, Ontario this morning, we gazed down upon Toronto, Ottawa, and then Montreal. Each brought back memories of a long-ago youthful journey. In 1971, I drove this very route with my high school buddies Bill and Ray on a post-graduation road trip from Chicago to the East Coast in my even-then-very-old 1939 Chevy. We were cruising town one night after setting up camp in Tra-Rivières between Montreal and Quebec City when a hitchhiker beckoned from the roadside. He introduced himself as Marcel, but lacking a common language, we could not determine where he was going. Finally, through gestures, Marcel guided us to a nearby tavern, where the bilingual bartender translated our passenger's request. If you'll pack up camp and drive me 30 kilometers home to Champlain, Marcel offered via the bartender, you can stay in the guest cottage behind my parents' house. We took him up on the offer and after the others bedded down, Marcel and I stayed up late into the night, getting to know each other via sketchpad and French-English dictionary. The next morning, I was startled from sleep by the horn blast of an ocean-going freighter. Having arrived in darkness, I'd never imagined that the cottage was mere steps away from the mighty St. Lawrence Seaway. I recounted this story to Jean for the umpteenth time as we flew from Ontario's verdant farm fields over the woods and lakes of Quebec. We couldn't see the border, but its presence became clear when Toronto Centre issued a frequency change to Montreal Centre. Bienvenue à Québec. Air traffic control is bilingual in Quebec, so Montreal Centre controllers swap seamlessly between speaking French with Quebecois pilots and English to Anglophones like me. So do air traffic controllers and control towers. And separate English and French AWAS automated weather frequencies are published for every airport. Even planning this flight to French Canada had been impacted by language. Before departing home, I always phone unfamiliar airports to confirm fuel and parking availability and identify any unusual fees or circumstances. But that proved not so easy when planning this journey. I couldn't decipher from our destination airport's French-language website who to phone for airport information. Finally, I reached a local flight school. Few people speak English in rural Quebec, so I'd long ago learned to open each phone conversation and each shop visit with one of my few French phrases. Parlez-vous anglais? Although the person who answered might not speak English, someone else in the officer shop usually did. Bonjour. Parlez-vous Anglais? I asked when a young man answered the flight school telephone. Upon hearing my questions, he advised me in broken English to quote-unquote call Unicom for parking and fuel information. But I'm still in the United States, I said. I need to phone the airport office. Then you should call Unicom, he repeated, sharing a phone number. In the United States, UNICOM refers simply to a non-controlling airport radio frequency. But here it proved to be the generic term for the airport fuel and parking office and even the people working inside. There, finally, I got my planning answers from a personable young man named Nicholas Levesque, whom I'd later meet upon arrival. Ah, the nuances of language and locale. This would be our third light plane visit to French Canada. But the previous two had been to Quebec City's tower-controlled Jean Lesage International Airport. This would be our first venture into an uncontrolled rural airport where local pilots simply announce their flight intentions to inform nearby air traffic. So while Montreal Centre and Quebec's provincial control towers are bilingual, things get interesting when you switch frequencies. The mighty St. Lawrence River soon materialized off our right wing. Thirty minutes later, I reported our destination in sight, and Montreal Centre released us to land at the uncontrolled airport. Upon radioing inbound for landing, we were greeted by the following transmission. Jean and I looked to each other eyebrows raised. Obviously the pilot was somewhere in the airport traffic pattern. But where? Parlez-vous anglais? I asked, then requested his position in English, hoping for an in-kind response. But he answered in French. This went back and forth several times until the pilot succeeded in conveying the word takeoff. But despite our best efforts, Jean and I never did spot the departing airplane. Clearly, great care would be required for us to safely operate here. I was securing the flying carpet after landing when two figures rushed from the terminal, arms outstretched. It was none other than Marcel Duval, the very hitchhiker I'd picked up in 1971, and his captivating wife, Lise Marquis. Who'd have imagined back then that our chance friendship would endure for decades? Although Jean and I have regrettably mastered only a few words of French, Marcel and Lise now speak good English. Still, in the car they had to remind us to slow our excited chatter so they could better understand and answer. We and the Duvals have visited each other over the years and swapped our sons back and forth between Quebec and Arizona to master our respective languages over summer school vacations. But then life got busy, and we last enjoyed Lise and Marcel's company 15 years ago touring Arizona and New Mexico together by flying carpet. This would be our first visit to Champlain itself since the mid-1970s when Lise and Marcel moved to Quebec City. Recently the two retired and moved back to Champlain where they built a beautiful contemporary home on the site of Marcel's parents' house where I stayed so many years ago. Now here we were, surfing time and skies across the continent to visit, and what a kick to discover that the nearest airport should be Trois-Rivières, where I first picked up Marcel hitchhiking. Talk about full circle. That night, Lise welcomed us with her legendary Coquille Saint-Jacques dinner, which she remembered us raving about on our last visit 16 years earlier. The next morning, our host chauffeured us by speedboat to one of two small islands dividing the saint Maurice River into three mouths where it joins the St. Lawrence, hence the name Trois-Rivières. This is the place where you and your friends Ray and Bill set up camp in 1971, observed Marcel over a gourmet picnic lunch. We later returned by car to sightsee trois rivieres Quebec's second oldest city, and sample poutine, a traditional, if questionably healthy, snack of gravy-topped French fries and cheese curds. I have something to show you, said Marcel, parking near a nondescript intersection. This is the corner where you picked me up in 1971. Beyond, he noted the dome of his former high school, from which he was hitchhiking home at the time. With a lump in my throat, I photographed Marcel, thumb extended, with Lisa and Jean at the very spot where our friendship began decades earlier. Afterward, we visited the Duval's oldest son, Francois, a young professional we last saw as a teenager and met his wife and first child. That evening, Marcel apologized that on the final day of our visit, he had a meeting to attend in Quebec City. Are you kidding? exclaimed Jean. We love that place. Can we join you? So Jean, Lise, and I delighted in tagging along to one of the continent's most captivating cities. Ever wish you could fly to France? Well, Quebec City is as close as U.S. pilots can get without crossing an ocean. Founded by Samuel de Champlain in 1608, La Belleville de Quebec is North America's only remaining walled city. Stroll the city's famed walls. Tour the Plains of Abraham, where in a seminal 1759 battle, Britain took Canada from France and explore ancient streets brimming with shops, cafes, street artists, and performers, all from high bluffs overlooking the beautiful St. Lawrence, and flavoring it all as the lovely lilt of French. But this particular visit was mostly about old times. Along with Wandering view quebec we savored sushi with the Duval's other son, Pascal, and reunited with Marcel's sister Louise and her companion Pierre, our hosts in 1973 when a college friend and I hitchhiked from Wisconsin to visit Marcel. What a shame we must depart already tomorrow. On our final evening, we toasted lifelong friendship on our host's patio overlooking the St. Lawrence, the very site of that long-gone cottage where Marcel and I first bonded. With tears all around, we vowed to see each other more often in the future. Clearly, the flying carpet will return to Quebec. Let's come back next year, said Jean, choking back tears as we buckled into the flying carpet the next morning. We could invite Marcel and Lise to fly east to the Maritimes with us. I radioed Montreal Center for an instrument clearance back to the United States. Be aware that there's a Citation jet practicing instrument approaches there at Trois rivieres Mentioned the controller. Plus radar indicates numerous aircraft flying the traffic pattern. Not until reaching the runway did Jean and I fully appreciate the implications of this. Here we were with an instrument flight clearance and a takeoff void time. But how could we safely launch into a traffic pattern brimming with French-speaking pilots? So we sat idling at runway's end, unsure of what to do. Then out of the blue came a radio transmission in English. There's a citation on four-mile final and three aircraft in the pattern. If you'll wait for the next aircraft's touch-and-go landing, there will be plenty of room to take off. After I acknowledged, he broadcast in French, presumably notifying other traffic of our pending takeoff. Our savior proved to be the bilingual UNICOM operator. Having just processed our fuel and tie-down bills in the airport office, he knew we didn't speak French and was watching out for us. I thanked him profusely, awaited our turn, and then rotated skyward. Shortly thereafter, a gentlemanly Montreal Center controller directed us southward toward the U.S. border in Albany, New York, where we would land to clear U.S. customs. We traversed the wide St. Lawrence, and after one last hour savoring intermingled French and English on the radio, crossed the border into Vermont's lush and curvaceous green mountains, gorgeous countryside brimming with lakes and rivers. There, the mere flip of a switch returned us to earth and English with Boston Center. Amid puffy fair weather clouds, we traced the shores of Lake Champlain southward over Burlington, and from there proceeded down the Hudson River. Lake George beckoned mystically from its deep valley to the southwest. Last night, I'd filed the requisite online pilot and passengers manifest for return to the U.S. and phoned U.S. Customs for an arrival appointment. I'd also phone Canada's CanPass pass customs number, which had been required when entering the country. There's no need to call us departing Canada, the friendly agent had advised. Feel free to leave any time and anywhere you wish. With all bases apparently covered, we touched down at Albany and parked in the orange-painted customs circle. Two officers politely greeted us, as had all such officials on both sides of the border. What's that gun the officer is using to check our airplane, Jean asked of his partner. It's not a gun, it's a radiation detector, the agent replied. He examined our passports, pilot and airplane documents, and Custom and Border Patrol sticker. He asked where we had departed the U.S. and what items we were bringing from Canada, and then complimented us on having all our paperwork in order. That was straightforward, said Jean as the agent ushered us out the door. You were lucky, he replied. We're required to thoroughly inspect incoming aircraft based on a randomized numbering system. You missed it by one. For the last airplane that came in, we had to unpack everything and examine all the luggage. Welcome back to the U.S. and have a good flight home. can you believe it, 50 years of friendship, initiated by picking up a hitchhiker with whom I didn't even speak a common language. That small act has added a great deal of richness to jeans and my lives, and some mighty exciting flying, too. My appreciation goes out to another Quebecois friend, Nicolas Levesque, for recording the French pre-takeoff announcement in the podcast. Thanks for riding along on today's Flying Carpet adventure. Please help me continue this podcast by sharing your favorite Flying Carpet episodes on social media, posting reviews on your favorite podcast directories, and donating via my Greg Brown Flying Carpet website. Thanks in advance for your support. You can find photos from most episodes at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out my book of aviation adventure stories, Flying Carpet, The Soul of an Airplane, for which I was named Barnes & Noble, Arizona Author of the Month. Learn about that and my other aviation books at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. Also at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, you'll find my views from the Flying Carpet Aerial Photography, available in fine art metal prints and pilot achievement plaques. Oh. And I'd appreciate hearing your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Follow my social media sites, most of which can be found by searching Greg Brown Flying Carpet. And consider joining my student pilot pep talk group on Facebook. Thanks again for joining me on today's Flying Carpet Cockpit Adventure. Music by Hannes Brown. See you next time.